So this is how our first date went. This is pretty funny. So one day I called him up from my office. He was down at his, down at the plant. And I said, hey, Bob. And he says, hey, are you calling me up to ask me out for a date? I mean, I didn't even get to tell him. I didn't even get to tell him why I was calling. I needed him to come up to our office to sign a well record. And he's asked, and I said, so I thought, well, I'll just go along with this thing. So I said, well, sure. And he says, oh, okay. So like, when do you want to go? He says, like, is uh, Tuesday okay? And I said, well, no, because I have tennis classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which was true. He says, okay, well, how about like Wednesday? And I'm now I'm thinking, he's not joking with me. He's serious here. <laughs> so you think this is a whole joke the whole time? At first I did. Were you interested in him at all? Or, or was he just another guy on your route? He was just another guy on my route. <laughs> Boys and girls, hello and welcome to the NoCast. I am Banning here with... Corey. And we have a great episode for you today. We're going to be sitting down with Kathy Sears and talking about her life. It is a magical journey and one that I love because she doesn't, even though I think she wanted to follow the playbook, like that traditional Christian church growth playbook thing, her life took so many turns. And I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to what she has to say. It's a very unassuming journey too. Um, knowing Kathy now, like most of our guests so far, you wouldn't assume any of this. I think it is exactly why we started doing this podcast to sit down with people who for whatever reason you would have thought oh this is this must have been how their life played out but when you sit down and talk to them and hear it from their own mouths you're like that is not what i had in mind this is 100 the reason why we do this this podcast 100 so we hope you enjoy it again thanks for tuning in and catch you on the flip catch you on the flip enjoy hanging out with kathy Hello, Kathy. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Great. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good, as Larry David would say. Kathy, let's start from the very tip top. Tell us about your childhood. Where were you born? Where do you come from? <laughs> so I was actually born in Downey, California. Uh, when I was five, my dad got transferred up to the Bay Area. So I grew up in Saratoga, California, which is about an hour south of San Francisco. Big city girl, as they would say. Well, you know, Saratoga was not really a big city. It was, um, I don't know, it, it, was, it wasn't like San Francisco or that, that hustle bustle up there. It was, um, we had uh, cherry trees in our yard and there were cherry orchards around. So our area of the Bay Area was a little bit um, quieter, I guess. What I... I was so excited to ask this question, knowing we're going to sit down and chat with you. I've known you for a long time, but I feel like I haven't really known you, known you. What were you like? What was like four-year-old, five-year-old Kathy like running around? What kind of kid were you? Believe it or not, I was very shy. Really? <laughs> I was. Um, it, and it's interesting how as I've, in, in my life, I've not so shy anymore. But um, I was very shy, very introverted. Would you say you're still, like, is your, is your natural reaction to still be shy and introverted? Or have you kind of grown into something else? Um, you know, I, I would say the yes. Um, 
sometimes, but it, it just depends on who I'm with or, um, you know, the situation. I, but I'm definitely not as introverted and shy as I, as I was when I was a child. I would not qualify you as shy anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> if you don't know Kathy, you can tell when Kathy's in a room. Well, yeah. my daughter calls me Chatty Kathy, which is interesting <laughs> because I did have a doll called Chatty Kathy. Uh, wow. That's, so that's where that comes from. Chatty Kathy. Just took on that's that right. persona. Yeah, yep, just took I on did. that persona. <laughs> so you, you describe yourself as, as being a youngin who was very compliant. Yes. Which is interesting because I don't hear a lot of people refer to themselves as compliant. Where does that come from? Tell me about how you were a compliant kiddo coming up and, and what does being compliant even mean? Well, because I was the last of four kids, um, I watched my older brothers and my sister and I heard my parents talk about things that they were frustrated with with, with regards to them um, to a certain degree and so I just I didn't want to get in trouble not that they got in a lot of trouble but I just didn't want them to be disappointed in me and so um, you know when I was little I was just very compliant I think because I was shy that also contributed to it. And then when I was a teenager, I, I was involved with a youth group, so I knew that I needed to be good, you know. Um, so, uh, and it also had to do with my brother. I have a brother that was getting into a lot of trouble. <laughs> and um, so I just, I wanted to stay under the radar. What's getting trouble? What's getting into trouble like? That could be a, there are varying forms and levels of getting into trouble. So for some of our other episodes, you're going to find some of our guests are um, getting pregnant before they get out of high school and X, Y, and Z. So what would getting in trouble have been like for you growing up? For me personally, or and for, for your brother, you and your well, brother. Well, my, my brother was just struggling in life, and so he was just just getting in, you know, messing around and going off and doing stuff with his friends that he shouldn't have been doing, you know, like taking my dad's car and going over railroad tracks and <laughs> flying over Dukes stuff of like that. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That type of stuff. So, so Kathy know. saw that all that and I she saw. didn't want any of that smoke. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm going to so, go underneath. And because I was going to a youth group, you know, I was, you know, my, my path was very different than my brother's. Um, I knew that that was, you know, what he was doing was not okay. And, and so I was just doing what I knew I was supposed to do, which was good. Um, it kept me from, you know, because I, I had the boundaries, I guess you could say, of being involved with the youth group and knowing what I was supposed to do. So, um, you, you, you mentioned when you were describing that, that it kind of caught my eye. You, you said, good but you you almost said like you said good like with quotation marks what what did what did that mean to you to be good like was it something that you you wanted to do or you were just being good because you felt like that's what you were supposed to do i i would say it was both you know i i knew i knew the difference between right and wrong for sure um but i also uh I didn't want my parents to be disappointed in me or anybody else to be disappointed in me. And why, why was that such a, a big like, driving force for you to not have people disappointed in you? Would you can you remember a time or why that, why that meant so much to you? Well, 
My brother took my dad's Volvo and he wrapped it around a double telephone pole. He and his buddies were in it. Thankfully, they all survived. No, not, no one was hurt. I was coming home late one day from school, which I never did. I always would call my mom and tell her I'd be late. But this day I didn't because I was doing something at school. And they're coming down the street and they're telling me they were very angry because my brother had just done this and they were going to go pick him up. And they were angry at me. Why didn't you call? And I just thought I was going to be in so much trouble. And it hurt to think that I had done something, you know, not calling my parents and telling them I was going to be late. Well, it turned out my brother's situation was far worse than what I did. So I, they didn't get mad at me when they came home. But, but I just that 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 hurt of you know my parents being angry and. So you, you think you, you saw your brother's situation with your parents and you saw how much pain it caused your parents and yes. you, you were trying to do whatever you could to, to, not, to not add to that pain. To exactly. Them. That was it. Classic younger sibling. Totally. As yeah. the oldest sibling, I know my sister did the same thing. Good for you all. You know, I didn't have that. I didn't have that option. I, I just, yeah, I was the oldest too. And, and so everybody, I got, I got most of the most of the beating yeah and all of you older siblings listening out here i'm sure you're sitting there thinking like yeah i know i, I know I, I i wrapped the volvo around the telephone pole because no one came before me and did that so well, there, there's two there's there's the older sibling that's that's like does all the dangerous things and the, there's the older sibling that like pretends to be the the perfect child and but the, really on the backside is doing all the dangerous things. That's me. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I, I had the good front with my parents. Like I'm perfect. Don't I worry about me. I wasn't clever enough to do that. <laughs> I was definitely. Yeah, I don't know. That's. So, you kind of described your parents as being very loving, very supportive, um, in our pre-questions. Yes. And you talked about how you said a couple of interesting things. Your dad was, you said your dad was really good at providing, took you guys camping. Are there any experiences with your mom and your dad, like fond memories that you have? Well, I would say, you know, the camping, we used to go to Yosemite quite a bit. And, um, you know, we, it was, it was a good time for our family. We, you know, just, um, being around the campfire, my dad, my dad had a, a portable record player and he would bring his polka records and play polka music <laughs> in the campground <laughs> and at the time you know as kids it's like you know why we would roll our eyes but now it might we look upon that with such fondness you know those memories of that and then you know just so things like that uh, that that were really neat memories yeah it's unique i mean you imagine hearing polka like reverberating Do we need to, describe to the kids these days what polka yeah. music is i couldn't even begin but polka just imagine in the serenity of yosemite valley you know and and here you just hear polka music just blasting through the canyon echoing off the mountains yeah it's just the sun is setting and there's a a faint smell of pine trees in the in the background fire crackling yeah fire crackling and roasting marshmallows Marshmall yeah the smell the of sound s'mores. of polka music and then polka music is the <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, when I think about vacations. That's what I think of. What What's your family's like um, nationality? Where Where do you come from? Uh, okay, so on my mom's side, they're more English. My grandfather, my my mom's dad was from Canada, and my mom's mother was more English. Uh, my dad's side, his mother was German Austrian, and his dad was from Holland. 
There's so the polka. That's the polka. That's why <laughs> I asked the question. Go. I'm thinking like, where does polka fit into Kathy's lineage? There it is. There it's, it is. It's right there. And we do these pre-interview questions beforehand. So we have a whole list of, so people listening may be thinking like, how do you know this stuff? But we have this whole list of things um, that Kathy has, has told us. You talk about how you, your dad was, was great at providing. You did a lot of trips, but that he was not one to really ask about how you were doing. Yes. So tell, talk a little bit about that. Talk about what you mean, what that was like. Yeah, my dad was not a relational type of person. Um, and that, you know, came from his background. His mother was a very hard worker. They went through the depression. And so she was not relational. His father was kind of a non-existent, non-involved dad. So my dad, that was modeled to him. So my dad, his way of dealing with us as as we were growing up and because he's just not a relational person is he he provided he came home um he would read the newspaper he he would listen to his music he wasn't involved with us as kids like he wouldn't play games and and do things with us um he just didn't know how i wonder if post-depression parenting you know it's because like life is is context and the context of someone like your dad who lived through the through the depression if providing became priority one because that was such a trauma for him growing up yes yeah and you know it, it was a common um it was common for men of that era to be like that they would be good providers if you ever watched that tv show the wonder years oh yeah the dad was just like that um very stereotypical dad of that era i want to talk about your mom now because you do talk you you've mentioned that you had a great supporting loving family you went to you were involved in church at a young age and then you mentioned how your mom struggled with some mental health issues. Yes. Specifically depression. Um, and she would have mood swings. And so you carry that weight, kind of that concern about her having these mood swings. And you said that she could be a lot of fun at times, but then she would kind of have these episodes. I'm sure that wasn't easy to deal with. Can you talk about what that was like? Maybe what that looked like? If there's any examples of stories that you can remember where that happened? Yes, and that would have contributed to why I wanted to not get into trouble because of her. Um, It was in my adult life, my sister and I, we talked a lot and worked through a lot of things that we were dealing with um, when we were growing up. And what we realized was that our mom was probably a depressed child Uh, because of her parents they were very or not involved in her life and my mother yearned for a mother to cook with her and sew with her and and be a mom with her and her mother was not that mother and her father was not very kind he he didn't say very kind things he didn't know how what to do with a, a daughter especially when she was a teenager so my mom grew up sad and so when she got married to my dad it was loving to her but that was already there and she she didn't have a lot of um confidence in herself 
Um, she didn't think she was pretty and things like that. So then when we were older, she had um, been in a car accident and injured her back and she started taking medication for that. And so that started this uh, really drug abuse. So she was taking medication for that um, and she would use that medication when my brother was would act up and she would go take Valium to calm herself down. So that was the beginning. So and then she went into menopause. She didn't she didn't know that she was going through menopause. It wasn't until years later that my sister and I figured out that she was going through menopause. And so that was she was up and down with that. She was up and down with my brother and then she was taking medication and then later on she got caught got in this thing of taking um sleeping pills and so that and then my brother was still you know problematic i chose to just try to stay under the radar when she was having one of her mood swings i would just try to stay away and so it was really hard so so do you think today she'd be classified as manic depression or does she ever act outwardly get seek help for it or does she just try to live with it yeah she didn't um seek help for it. well she she did very briefly years later but it the counselor wasn't a good counselor and it n- went nowhere i don't know what they would have diagnosed her with because it's hard to say hard to say what what they would have come up with i think today you know, and I, my sister and I've talked about this, where if she was here today, you know, in the same scenario, we would have been more involved in trying to get her help, um, encouraging her. And But I think also my dad wanted to be the one to help her. He thought he could help her and, and cover it all. And there was, in their generation, there was shame in, in admitting that you have a problem. And I think for my dad, he just, he just wanted to try and take care of her. That would be my, I mean, that's such an interesting conversation. The progression of mental health in culture. Mm-hmm. Because I do see that in the time when your parents would have been parents, that mental health wasn't as much a part of the conversation as it is today. Right. So now there's a lot of movements towards awareness, which is super good. But back in the day, it sounds like people would, would were kind of on their own. I mean, if you struggled with mental health, there we didn't have the the science to kind of understand like the chemical balances and and the the overall health of the brain. And it would be really tough to kind of be in that position where you are struggling with very real issues, but there's not a system that can really offer you the support aside from giving you Valium and I can see how you, how the male would probably feel like it's their job to fix someone, but now we realize that that's just not the case. Now we realize right. it's it's a very treatable illness that needs that needs to be addressed, and not treatable in the way that it's like easily treatable. Just and there's such a big gamut of mental health; it goes across the board. But just that it's something that needs to be approached in the same way that any illness would be approached. That's hard, Kathy. I mean, that's difficult to. Well, it was because you know I'm. I, I can remember in my junior high and high school years, and I didn't have a mom that I could go to and talk to because I was fearful of how she would respond or, and, you know, with her mood swings. So I just tried to keep it buried. So inside. what was your outreach then? Who did you go to in those moments where you needed to, someone to talk to and you didn't have a mom to do that? Or did you just hold it inside? 
I held a lot of it inside. My sister, um, when I was in high, junior high and high school, my sister was in college and then she got married. So she was away, but, and she knew that I was dealing with it. So we would talk some, my brother, my oldest brother lived in the area and he was married and I did go to him a, a time or two, but most of the, most of it, I just held inside. That seems that's, tough. That's super hard. tough too. Yeah. That's, that I mean, it sounds like on, on paper, you had this very loving family, you know, you did a lot of trips together, the polka in Yosemite, but then families always have that, that second side or, or a lot of them do. I mean, we're on the outside. I remember in high school, everybody thought like, oh, you have such a great family, your mom, your dad. But really for my experience, there was a lot of difficulty, not to say my mom and dad aren't great people, but to say that my relationship certainly with my dad was not, was not good at all. But on the outside, on paper, especially in the church world, you know, it's like, can you check all these boxes? Having a parent available emotionally, having somebody that you can confide in, having somebody who can support you as a teenager and what you're going through, sometimes those things are overlooked. So if you're on your own or in the sense you're the person that's supporting yourself, which it sounds like you were, I mean, yeah, I just can't help but that. That's a big, I mean, what would you say like nowadays if, if you were a parent and if you had a prescription to Valium, or to like narco or something like that. I mean, that's like a different category nowadays of parent. You know what I mean? That would be, I don't know if that would be like, if you could, if that would be so normal, maybe now as it was back then, if that makes sense. But people are doing it today. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, with meth and whatever else is out there. I mean, it's just a different drug, but people are doing it. You yeah. Know, to, you know, so there's all kinds, or alcohol, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, there's always been something there's always been alcohol. There's always been something for people to go to, to kind of um, self-medicate, self-medicate and just temporarily feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just, I, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, going through some of like the, you know, the most formative years of your life in high school and not having a parent to, to reach out to, or someone, someone as a mentor to, to reach out to that's and being afraid of if your own being a, being afraid if to, your to, to own problems your, yeah. to put them on them and then to have them come back and yeah which which is something that, like a a child should never have to think through and it's you know i remember feeling like if i did try to talk to my mom you know even to say mom what you're doing you know your behavior is upsetting me if i even if i tried to do that she would put it back on me so yeah. It was, and it was something that she was doing. So it taught me as a parent when I was parenting my kids to listen. I mean, thankfully I learned from that so that when my kids were talking, um, I could be there for them and not to respond and get angry with them, but just, you know, to, to be there for them. Yeah. How did the relationship with your mom progress? I mean, talk, talk me through growing up, you have a, you're, you very much don't want to disappoint them. You have a strong drive to, to not be a disappointment and you have the pressure of not wanting to upset or, or cause any sort of episode that she might have as she's struggling through her own stuff. I mean, was that, was there ever a moment in your adult life when you kind of stepped back and thought, you know what, actually that wasn't super healthy for me. Was there any sort of frustration you, you felt towards her? And did you ever reconcile that as years went on? Well, 
I was living down here and my parents um, moved up to Lake Tahoe. They had retired. And so periodic, I mean, we talked on the phone maybe once a week. Sometimes the phone call, I knew my mom was in the mood. And that was upsetting to me that she would call me when she was in the mood. Um, and I do remember getting frustrated with her and um, it's just it was just really hard. And then there were other times when our conversations on the phone were, were very pleasant. Um, we did go up and visit them a few times and there were a few times when she spiraled down when we were visiting and that was upsetting. And um, you know, there wasn't anything I could do, anything I could say or do other than just kind of get out of the area and, and just let her do her thing while and so but that was always frustrating and then later on they moved my parents moved down here and it was shortly after that we discovered my mom was dealing with dementia and what we realized my sister and I are pretty certain that the dementia was probably triggered by all of her years of drug abuse and her depression and so then we had to deal with that until she passed. So it, it was after she passed that my sister and I really talked through things. And that was very, very helpful for both of us because we learned a lot and we, I think we figured things out and what happened and it was her and it was unfortunate that she lived her life like that and never, came to terms with what had happened when she was a child. That was really unfortunate. Thankfully, my sister and I, we don't live that same life. We learned from that, and so we worked through that. And I think because of our faith, that's definitely been a factor in healing us so that what happened and all the trauma that we dealt with uh, with regards to my mom, that we understand it. My memories of my mom are now less of the trauma and the good memories of her. That's one of the understated qualities that redemption has. I think when we think about redemption, we don't think about like real world redemption. We often think about like the ethereal like oh my soul's redeemed going to heaven wherever that may be someday but real world practicing redemption being able to go through that with a mother who was dealing with some serious mental health issues before and we're still learning how to even how to even approach mental health but before that was even more accepting and more accepted and then to be able to go through the process of dementia which is, is so difficult to deal with and then to be able to find that sort of redemption after the fact with your sister so that you can look back on that relationship with fondness. I think that's really awesome. I think that's a really cool, um, a really cool experience. So thanks for letting us talk about that. Want to talk about your high school experience because you, you do mention a few things that I think are really interesting. Um, so we get it, Kathy. Okay. You're this great kid. All right. You did, uh, your hobbies were like, you love sewing. Mm -hmm. which is like, come on. I mean, you can do no wrong. And in a minute, I have a question about sewing because I am not a seamstress. Um, and I would like to know how, like, what about sewing is, is really intriguing to you. And yeah, you, you went to youth group, you listen to Christian music. I mean, you sound kind of like the perfect kid. 
I mean, that's that's kind of on how the it outside. Sounds. Yep. On the outside, yeah, but not on the inside. Not on the inside. Is that directly related to your relationship with your mom or is there more to that? It is partly related to my mom. It was also, I didn't date very much. I mean, I think I went on one date when I was in high school, never got asked to prom. That was hard. And so that was some of the pain that I was dealing with on the inside, um, not feeling wanted, not feeling pretty as a as a young girl um so that was hard that that did cause a lot of pain which is interesting because you mentioned that your mom felt that way Mm -hmm. did you feel like she pushed that on you as well no or no i didn't find that out until that she felt that way about herself until years later when a friend of hers revealed that to Mm. me what was that like to have heard that and realize that you actually had that similarity um it was it was really surprising was really yeah and that helped me to understand my mom a little bit more why she was um, going through all that depression just it was uh, revealed the depth of her pain Hmm. it feels like even today in in a more modern society that there's a lot of pressure put on young women and especially in terms of being attractive or I mean in, a, in our society attraction is, is such an important especially in social media it's like everything you post but growing up in high school having never been asked to prom I feel like even even today that would be a really challenging thing for for a young girl to go through how did that make you feel how what was that like I just didn't feel wanted it was um I felt really hurt and so on the outside the on paper, perfect life, you know, or good life, I should say. But on the inside, you have these very serious, these very difficult things that you're carrying. And then that leads you into a part of your life that you kind of describe as like your, like more wild. I don't know what the words were you used in your, in your thing, but you talked about how after you get out of high school, you kind of are carrying all these wounds and then you begin to get involved in a, in a, in a different sort of lifestyle. You wanna talk about that transition a little bit? So when I left high school, um, I I moved out. I was 18, a friend of mine and I were able to get an apartment. We I had was working a full-time job at Bank of America and I was, Carol and I were able to, believe it or not, in Sunnyvale, we got an apartment. It was $250 a month rent. We split it, 125 each. We had a full-time job with benefits at Bank of America, uh, making $475 a month gross. And <laughs> we were living on our own. Wow. We were not dependent on anybody but ourselves. It was pretty cool. Then uh, shortly after that, I got into a relationship uh, with the man who I eventually married. And that lasted five years. He was not kind to me, very verbally abusive and said things to me like, um, it's a good thing I married you because nobody else would want you. Ah, uh, that was like a- A dagger into the da- Yeah, a real dagger in my heart. That's like sociopathic, you know? Like yeah. the fact that somebody could say that to anybody, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, I don't wanna like say like, what were you thinking, Kathy? I'm sure you're thinking that, but it's like, especially if you come from like your high school experience where you're you're already dealing with probably self-esteem issues, then you get into a relationship where you're hoping that this would maybe help build you up a little bit. 
to have stuff like that happen. I mean, where was your self-esteem at after that marriage? Well, let me tell you something before that. Yeah. When, bef when he asked me to marry him, I remember laying in bed one night and I just had this very honest conversation with God because I knew in my heart that it was not a healthy relationship. I knew that. So I just said, God, should I marry him? And I heard a very, very firm no, but I did anyway. So um, I knew going into that marriage, it was not a healthy relationship, but I was so desperate to be in a relationship because I had told myself, if ever I have a chance for getting married and having a family, this is it because nobody, there's, I, nobody else is showing interest in me. So he was, would you say he was the first person to give you attention that you, you saw it and so you held on to it so, yes. so dearly? Yes. And, and was he, was he abusive and, and like this before you got married or was this something that yes, came about? Yes, he was. Really? Yeah. That's, that's so interesting that, that it was something your hunger to be wanted and desired was so strong that it overpowered the, the, the pain and, and the verbal abuse. What I knew was the right way I should go, but I was just so desperate. The decision to get out of that relationship, was that difficult to come to? Or was it just a point where you just said, I've just had it. Like, I'm just, it's time. It's, I've reached my end. Well, it's kind of interesting. I, by this time I was working out at San Onofre and I was actually a clerk in a weld shop surrounded by a lot of welders, a lot of guys, and they were really nice to me. You know, they would offer to help me and, you know, lift stuff. And it was, it was just a, a, a very revealing environment for me to realize that, and they, you know, they were just kind men. That's, that was it. By that time, after five years, realizing that this was very, this relationship was very abusive and that there are nice men out there that can be kind to me. I, that was, that just helped me make that decision. And I remember coming home one day and I just said, okay, we either get help or we end it. And he said, okay, I guess we end it. So he wasn't even willing to get help. That, that's super interesting that like you, because you didn't date in high school, this, this first man you meet is your only version of what a man is. And so you, you, you go through life thinking this is as good as it gets. Like everybody's got this, right? Or, or did you know there was better, but you're like, this is all I'm worth? I knew that there was better out there because I saw, you know, my friends and other people marrying really nice, you know, men that treated their, their um, wives very kindly. But because nobody else was showing that kind of interest in me, that... That was, yeah. When I, my first marriage, which was very short-lived, and that's another story of another day, one of the things that was interesting for me was going through the challenges, like challenges where I would, you know, you kind of would, tell people like, Hey, this is kind of going on. You know, you have your, your friends you talk to about it. And then the response is always like, Oh, well, marriage is hard. It takes a lot of work. And I never could figure out were my problems. Like, you know what I mean? They're trying to like figure out like where my problems were on that spectrum of like, okay, is this just marriage is hard or are these like serious red flags? And it took me a while to get to the point where I had enough 
you know, self-esteem. Well, to kind of say, no, those were actually serious problems that no one, those weren't just normal marriage problems. Did you have a hard time determining that in your marriage, like figuring out what was acceptable in terms of this is a normal marriage problem and what was like, this is way too far? Or did you know all the time? I knew all the time. Okay. Yeah. So uh, where did you meet your first husband, if you don't mind me asking? At church, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I asked that question. I, I asked that question. I didn't know that that was going to be your answer, but I, I wanted to know because I thought, I bet you she met him at church. And the I irony is you met a guy at church. Not, not to bash on church guys, but you meet a guy at church and he is he is abusive. He is he's ter He tears you down. And you meet a bunch of great dudes, a bunch of welders at the power plant. A bunch of dudes swearing in a workshop. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because I come from a family of welders. My brother, my cousin, great fabricators. And they're like the nicest people. And just because I don't go to church every Sunday, they're not qualified as being like great people. I don't know. I just think that is like... It's rather ironic, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's ironic, but I also think it's very accurate because I think... Yeah. Yeah. Just because you go to church, it's like that whole idea. And I see this in your story a lot this perfect, this playbook or this, this like sort of strategy that it's like, yeah, we, we went to church. We listened to the right music. We, you know, we stayed out of, I stayed out of all the, the issues. Um, but then deep down inside, there's these real big stirring voids. And I love what comes next in your life. I love the fact that you met Bob and you met him at the power plant. Yep. Can you tell me about what it was like? Like, did he have, he, if you, you, obviously you're listening, you can't see. Kathy's husband, Bob, has the greatest mustache <laughs> in the history of mustaches. Oh. Did he have, has he had, have you seen his whole face before? Once. Because <laughs> <laughs> that mustache covers a lot of, a lot of real estate. Yes. Uh, he, um, he's always had it, but one time, Oh, I don't know. It was probably about 20 years ago. He decided to grow a beard. It was winter and he decided to grow a beard. And, you know, of course, it blended in with his mustache. And he finally got tired of it. It was itchy and all that stuff. So he went down to Village Barber and the barber, Diane, um, he had made an appointment to have it all shaved off. So Diane called me one day or the day he did that. And before he came home, she said, Kathy, I want to tell you something. The man that comes through your door is Bob. And I said, why? What, what's going on? She said, I'm not going to tell you. Anyway, he came in. He had everything shaved off. I did not recognize him. I had to turn my head and let him talk to me so I could know that it was Hear Bob. His voice. That was the only time. And then, of course, the mustache grew back. What? This, this, this mustache is like putting Tom Selleck to shame. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Tom Selleck, take yeah. notes, bud. Yeah. What, I mean, I, I don't know if this is like the, I just have to know, was that, a, was, it, was it the moment where you're like, hey, or was it like, honey, um, we need to grow that mustache back right away? No, I, I personally, I, I would prefer if it was a little trimmed up, but you know, that's uh, oh, his thing. It's his, I'm just putting it out there and he knows point. that. But, um, so. <laughs> my dad's had a mustache as long as I remember. And one day he went through, it was um, after his divorce from my mom, he went through a little midlife crisis as often people do. And he decided one day to shave his mustache off. And he came in one day, he's like, hey, should I shave my mustache off? At that point I was like, dad, I don't care what you do, okay? Like I'm in my twenties, like do whatever you want to do. So he goes, comes back five minutes later, had shaved it off. And he had a legit tan line. Oh, like he oh, had a huge funny. spot where a mustache w once was. 
And it was hilarious because it's like he had a pretty tan face and it's this little white spot, little caterpillar white spot right on his upper lip. Did Bob have that or? No, because it was winter. And he's so fair skinned. Mm. So, no, he didn't have that. Wow, yeah. classic Bob. Yeah. I, I, dads have to have a mustache at one point in their life, I think. I, I, our, our generation of dads. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, that's amazing. So when you first met Bob with the mustache, he had the mustache. So we've, 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 uh, we've stamped that one out. How'd you meet him? I mean, how did, how did you meet him? I mean, were you still married at the time? Were you separated already? Um, actually, probably when I met him, when I first met him, I was going through the divorce. Um, so he was an engineer out there. Uh, we worked in a department that was part of Southern California Edison called uh, Field Forces construction field forces and so he was one of the uh, four or five engineers in that department so he was kind of one of the big shots in our department I was a clerk I had to go down to the plant almost every day to go get signatures on weld records and distribute paperwork and whatnot and so his office was one of my stops that I would regularly regularly make and he would he would always want to talk about motorcycles and airplanes and stuff and so I you know talk to him it was kind of fun and then I'd go on my merry way and go to the next office. <laughs> so that was how I got to know him. So this is how our first date went. This is pretty funny. So one day I called him up from my office. He was down at his, down at the plant. And I said, hey, Bob. And he says, hey, are you calling me up to ask me out for a date? I mean, I didn't even get to tell him. <laughs> I didn't even get to tell him why I was calling. I needed him to come up to our office to sign a well record. And he's asked, and I said, so I thought, well, I'll just go along with this thing. So I said, well, sure. And he says, oh, okay. So like, when do you want to go? He says, like, is uh, Tuesday okay? And I said, well, no, because I have tennis classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which was true. He says, okay, well, how about like Wednesday? And I'm now I'm thinking, he's not joking with me. He's serious here. <laughs> so you think this is a whole joke the whole time? At first I did. Were you interested in him at all? Or, or was he just another guy on your route? He was just another guy on my route. <laughs> and so I was like, so anyway. Men. We ended up going out. Well, do you want to know what he pulls up to my place in? A Porsche. Whoa. <laughs> Pulling out the, the big guns. Yeah. So it was it showing was, that engineer money. It was a rental, but still a portion of the less. Honest, it was his. I just <laughs> Man, th this is this is your your note. Go for it. Yeah. No matter like, she might not even recognize you're there. Just get so, the Porsche. Go. <laughs> anyways, and it was it was neat. He you know, he just treated me like like a man should treat a woman you know, very kindly. And we just had, a, we just hit it off. We talked a lot, believe it or not, because Bob's not, he's kind of quiet, but when you get him going on something, he'll talk. <laughs> That's awesome. Is, this, that is this Bob's first marriage? Uh, no, it's his second also. So a lot, probably a lot of um, relatability in that between. Yeah, I would say so. That's awesome. Yeah. So you met Bob, you go on your date. Did you know right away, like, Wow. So he treated you well. You loved that. Having never thought about dating Bob Pryor, now you just went on a date with Bob. Are you now are you thinking like, all right, Bob is uh, Bob's his uh, he's put his hat in the the old Kathy circle here. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, I love that. <laughs> when you over off the first date. <laughs> and so, how long till you knew that? I mean, we're gonna get to another important part of your story, but 
did you kind of have an idea early on? Like, actually, this is a pretty serious relationship. Like, I really like this guy. I, I would say so. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. So you have a dynamic in your story that I think kind of fits your story as a whole and that you're dating Bob. Things are going really well. And then life happens, as we say on the NoCast and in the world, life happens. Do you want to talk about life happening for you, Kathy? Yes. Um, I found out that I was pregnant. Wow. Which was really surprising because here I am all those years thinking I'm the good girl, never did anything wrong. I would never do something like that. And guess what? I did. So that was um, that was a real um, eye opener for me, and I it taught me a lot. And I realized, you know, I could never judge other women that did that because I did. Yeah, <laughs> she's got a <laughs> smile on her face right now because I did. I did. <laughs> I I okay. Well, before I get to sort of like some things that I feel what I really love about your your journey was that difficult? I mean, being pregnant. Cause I mean, it sounds like the pressure from your parents, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're the pressure, the desire to not disappoint. I mean, you have a very strong moral compass. I mean, I feel like you have, you have that internal, internal navigation. It's just part of who you are, which is awesome. But dealing with being pregnant out of wedlock, as they say, was that difficult? Why was it difficult? Were, was there shame involved? Was there guilt involved? What was that process like? Yeah, it was all of those. I, I felt embarrassed that I would do such a thing. Uh, I felt guilty. I felt shame. When in, in a situation like that, you can't hide it. I mean, I guess you can because you, you do have that option of abortion. That was never on the table. Never. So where did thought. the guilt and shame come from? Like, where was that? Yeah. Knowing that I, that that was wrong. I mean, you know, God wants us to, to be married and have our children um, as an expression of our love in a marriage relationship. And I, so I knew that what I had done was, was wrong. Um, so that was, that caused shame. Were you a practicing Christian at this, at this time? No, I wasn't. Um, you know, I had asked the Lord in my life when I was 15, when I was going to the youth group, um, I love how Senator Tim Scott talks about knowing that you're saved versus Jesus being the Lord of your life. I knew I was saved. I knew that, you know, I had been guaranteed salvation because I had asked the Lord in my life. But Jesus was not the Lord of my life. And so at this time, I stopped going to church when I moved down to Southern California with my first husband. We didn't go to church anymore. So, um which was unfortunate because I didn't have that support while I was going through this difficult time and I didn't have any uh, counselor to help me. So no, I wasn't. Um, and that was why when I divorced, I just kind of partied. And I think I mentioned that in my interview that I just kind of went out and I would go out with people after work and drink and just kind of party. It was like, woohoo, you know. I knew that I, you know, that was not a good direction for me, but I just felt like I just needed a let loose. So that's what I did. I mean, I love letting loose. So you're, you're talking to, you're, you're safe here, <laughs> <laughs> but I get what you're saying though. But it know? was, it was not, it was not healthy. Yeah. I, I get it what you're saying. It was not, it was not a healthy yeah. place to be. 
And now you've been married for how long? Actually, uh, in one week, it will be 35 years. <laughs> Unbelievable. So and what are the odds? Because I'm telling you, the odds of our marriage surviving all of that were against us. I want to talk about that because I, <laughs> so I, I have, I would, I would self-describe myself as being, I have a life that is very unconventional. And so I didn't, I wasn't raised in the playbook. You know what I mean? My, yeah. my, my mom tried, poor thing. She tried. Um, but my, my family, if you met my, my brother or sister, we were just never going to do that. Um, even becoming a Christian, be, getting in ministry, pastor, all that still been very unconventional. So I actually resonate a lot with your story because I see, I see that sort of that there's like dual narratives, the narrative of like, this is the, the playbook set before me, the church has given it to me or whatever. We feel like this is what it's supposed to look like. But then there's the narrative of what is actually happening and the narrative of like, this is actually real life and this is what's going on. And it's full of failed marriages and it's full of, um, depression and, 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 identity issues and it's filled with all of these things and I feel like what's more victorious is what says more about you and your life is it I followed the playbook or is it you know what I actually really wasn't the playbook wasn't working for me I actually had all this stuff going on I had I got pregnant out of wedlock but guess what Bob and I and his mustache we've been married for 30 over 30 years I mean you know how many girls got asked to prom and their marriage didn't last that long? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you were given this 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 amazing gift, and now you have beautiful kids. You you're a grand are you a Grammy? You're a Grammy now, right? I am. I have a two and a half year old granddaughter. Yeah, I mean, so you're, you're pretty you're, cool. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I see your story and I think to myself, like, like screw the playbook. Like you 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 did went the hard route and. Now you have, you have a great marriage. You have a beautiful family. I don't know. But you know what happened? This is the neat part of the story. When Bob and I moved here, um, Julian, our son, was a year old. We moved next door to a couple, Stan and Kathy Herdrich, that used to go to Fallbrook Presbyterian Church. Mm. Kathy invited me to go to Bible Study Fellowship, which was at Fallbrook Presbyterian Church. I knew about it, and so I went. I started going, and that was when Jesus became Lord of my life because I started studying Scripture. Now I'm getting this relationship. I'm, you know, it's like connecting the dots. I knew about Jesus. I didn't really know him, but I'm starting to know him as I'm studying Scripture and just getting into that deep relationship with him. And that was when... He became the Lord of my life. And that was that was really the beginning of amazing things. And God has just taught me so much since that time. It's a continuation of that redemption arc. I think. Yes. That, like we it talked about with your redemption with your, your mother and that relationship. And then again, I think. But isn't it interesting that God placed us right next door to a couple that God knew would invite me to to Bible study fellowship. That was just, it was, to me, it was like, and you can relate to this banning as a fisherman. It was like, he, he let me go out. He let me pull on the string and go out and do my thing out in the ocean. But then he finally just started reeling me in. Huh. 
spirituality, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that every person, no matter what religion or creed, that everybody, we're spiritual beings. I mean, we have faith. Faith is inevitable. We believe in something, whether it be um, the church down the street, you know, the, the Buddhist temple or a political figure. We just naturally have this ability as humans to believe in something. I, I really like that your experience and, and your life has led you to understand that there's a difference between buying into a, buying into a, a well, I've been saying throughout this podcast, a playbook, buying into this idea of a perfect, um, you know, way to live your life and buying into or seeking an authentic relationship with something deeper. Um, for us, it's Jesus and a lot of other people search in other areas, but it's really a process of self discovery. I mean, at the root of all religious experience, it, uh, like healthy experience is to self discover. And obviously Christ brings that out. And I think some people miss that a lot because they get caught up in this other idea of, I'm just, I want to be a Christian and follow that Christian, that, that Christian road. But I don't know how Christian that is. I don't know if Jesus I mean, his journey was certainly unorthodox. And I mean, talk about how, being pregnant out of wedlock. I mean, that's where he came from. That's that's where he came from. So I love your story. And I love the fact that you went through all of this, this whole journey to get to the place where it's like, you know what, I've, it's been unorthodox, but here I am. And now I have this real, genuine, deeply spiritual relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And you're in the midst of a healthy marriage and you have a beautiful kid and you have a couple, one more on the way, or you have two kids total, right? Yes. Um, you're going to be a great, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just love it. And then, and now the things you're involved in currently, like it's no surprise to me with your background, with your mom, that you got involved in working with the mental health community. And so you worked at the high school. Yes. Um, do you see a connection between your relationship with your mom and her experience and some of the the things in your life that you found you became passionate about? Never thought of that. I, mean, I don't know. To, yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah, because on the campus, you were, you know, it was it was always Mrs. Sears. You know, people were very fond of you and, and the students that you got to work with. Yeah, it was, that was a really special time. I've, I've worked with the, the, in the elementary school and then the high school for quite a while and uh, built relationships with um, all kinds of kids in special ed. And, and um, so that was a really special time. I think that we want to get, we try to give everybody an opportunity at the end of, of their time and conversation, just talking about something they're really passionate about, they're involved in. You have on here that you're involved with the Fallbrook Homeless Advocacy Group. Yes. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit and what you're up to and what you're involved in these days? Yeah, over the years, and that kind of started when I was involved with youth ministry. We would go down to San Diego and um, do uh, outreach with City of Refuge, and we would just go hang out with homeless people. That was uh, very revealing to me to just go talk with homeless people and ask them, you know, what happened and, you know, what brought them here. And sometimes we would just sit on the ground with them and so I learned a lot about homelessness and um, the different aspects of homelessness. Um, so that was really uh, 
that was kind of where I learned a lot. And so now we have uh, the Faber Homeless Advocacy Group here. So we do outreach here. Um, I don't, I'm not heavily involved in it, but I do do some work with them. And uh, when, before COVID, we uh, would do an outreach at one of the local churches and homeless people would come and we would uh, encourage them um, to get into help, whatever whatever type of help that they were needing, whether it was um, because of drug addiction or something like that. So that was um, so I've been involved with some of that. And one one lady that has been homeless, we we celebrate when they when we finally see somebody get out of homelessness. And one of our local ladies who was homeless for quite a while and lived in the parking lot over at the library, um, she now has an apartment. And it's just so exciting. So very interesting um, getting to talk to you. I didn't get this when I was reading it, but the the arc of redemption that that's come through um, is super interesting to see you know, your your relationship with your mom and the redemption there, and then your relationship with your now husband, the redemption of of your acceptance and and being wanted. I think it's awesome. I want to give you one last question, Kathy. I think that there are a lot of young females, even young males out there. There are a lot of people out there who can probably relate a lot to what you were feeling. That sense of un like unwanted, um, undesirable. I want to give you a chance to speak to them. So if someone's listening to this podcast and they can, they can identify a lot with what you're feeling, they don't have the Bob yet. They don't have the the grandkids, they don't have the 35 years of a successful marriage yet. They're still in that, maybe I just got out of a marriage and it's been really abusive. Maybe they're in that place where it's like, I've never been asked to a dance and I've never processed that. What would you say to them, to those who are listening that feel how you felt? I would say one is be very careful because you are very vulnerable like I was. So you really need to be careful about that. Uh, you can very easily get into a very unhealthy relationship because of that being desperate to be in a relationship. Even, and it doesn't necessarily even mean a boyfriend relationship, just it could be very unhealthy female relationships where you're accepted into a group that maybe goes out and goes partying or something. And you know that that's just not healthy. So you really need to be careful about um, being being vulnerable. Also, I would say, and I was just talking with a young gal yesterday, and I was real excited because she is getting into, uh, she's 22 years old, and she's getting into a really healthy um, small group of young women like her that are single and um, just a, a really neat growth group, and that was a healthy thing for her to get into that. So finding, finding those groups of people that are supportive, that are in similar situation of in life. Awesome. Thank you, Kathy. I mean, what do we say? I just, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate this whole conversation. I think when we started, I wasn't, I didn't really know where it was going to go in terms of like, and I think there's so much stuff got fleshed out that was more than what I think we could have hoped for. Yeah. It's been a, uh been a great time getting to getting to hear your story yeah and so thank you so much for your time kathy it's been an honor and a privilege and um nice to know you 
Yeah, you guys too. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Um, what word, Corey, do I use to describe that conversation? Man, it's surprising. Surprising and uh, encouraging. Is encouraging good? I think so. I mean, I just, I feel like, I feel like her story is, is a story that a lot of people are going to be listening to and either thinking that they themselves can relate to or thinking about somebody else that they just think needs to hear where Kathy's coming from. It's kind it's such a great example of the the playbook going wrong yeah throw the playbook out okay life is just messy and it's full of challenges and every episode we have done so far this season i think that that is the most apparent thing is that the playbook never works um this quote-unquote playbook that used to be taught to us as as young people in the christian world of this this and this or your life is ruined yeah and the crazy thing is, when you do make those decisions that do ruin your life, there's still so much about being human and, and being alive where that gets rebuilt in more beautiful ways than you ever thought possible. There's no reason for a redemptive savior if there's no... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and that's Kathy's story is, is the playbook failing, the persona versus the reality. And then this awesome person that lived through an abusive marriage that lived feeling unwanted, that dealt with um, the effects of living with somebody that struggled with mental health issues. And now she's just crushing it. Crush it. Married 35 years, grandkids. Great mustache on her husband. Oh, I mean, that mustache. Oh my gosh. I mean, so maybe if we ever have an Instagram, we'll post it or something. But anyways, we appreciate you spending time with us here at the NoCast. If you would take a moment, like, subscribe, follow, Yelp review, just get in on this thing because we have more stories coming down the pipe for you. And we also are working on setting up a Patreon. So if we've set that up already, we would appreciate if you wanted to support us on Patreon so we could afford to pay uh, our production crew to that goes through and chops up all of our all Hi, of our Mason. Stuff. Yeah, hi, Mason. We, we haven't introduced Mason. Mason is is our our man behind the scenes here. Yeah, and if you if you if you get on our Patreon and support us and send us a donation, maybe we can afford to get Mason a mic. But as of now, he has no mic. So, anyways, thanks again for tuning in, um, bringing you stories from people that don't typically tell their own stories, learning a lot. And, and I'm banning here with I'm Corey. And uh, what did Kathy say? Now you know. <laughs> and now you know. We'll see you next time. The NoCast is produced by Mason Minari with executive producers Corey Bidding and Benny Cantorini at SCF Studios in Fallbrook, California. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the NoCast, please like, subscribe, and share this episode. Or simply take the time to listen to someone tell their own story. If you'd like to contact us, have any questions, or would like some resources from our episode, please contact us at thenocast at gmail.com. Again, that is thenocast at gmail.com.